Good to be back with you. I don't know if you were here last Sunday, but uh, my wife preached instead of me. And for all of you that were so happy about that, yeah, thanks so much. <laughs> when will she be back, I heard several times. Uh, just take what you got, okay? Oh, but it is good to be back. And I had a great time at East Cobb Methodist and, and preaching there, and they received me warmly as well. It's just neat to be a couple and uh, be pastors and preachers and be able to do that together. Uh, and I hope you heard and know by now uh, that actually for our 11 o'clock uh, traditional service, December the 4th, we're swapping choirs with that church too. So uh, their choir is going to come and lead worship with us uh, that day, and our choir is going to go up there and lead worship with them. So it's just neat to have that connection and be able to experience that and share that together. But it's good to be back with you on this uh, Sunday before Thanksgiving. I'm sure we got people who are on the road to head to be with their families, and, and maybe that's part of your plan for Thanksgiving too, and you just haven't done it yet. But um, we're going to have Thanksgiving together in here this morning for a little bit, and we're going to share communion uh, toward the end of our time of worship together. But uh, I, I just think about that experience of Thanksgiving and how we're going to experience it and, and how beautiful the table looks set this morning. And uh, it reminds me of my childhood and the Thanksgivings that we shared at my grandmother's house. Uh, Granny was what I called her. And she's no longer with us. Um, she passed away years ago. But and that experience of Thanksgiving at her house will be with me forever. Uh, and in fact, not just because of the food and how good it was and how much of it there was, but, but Granny for me was like my Christian role model. Like, I mean, she was the person that modeled for me what it meant to follow Jesus and live that out. And I looked up to her. Maybe you've got somebody like that in your life that you just, that's the person who has shown me what it looks like to follow Jesus. For me, that was granny. And uh, so it just so happened that that person also hosted an incredible Thanksgiving feast, right? Like, uh, all the family would come over, my this was my dad's mom, and so his siblings and all the kids and grandkids and all that kind of stuff, right? And uh, we would go to Granny's house, and she would make a spread. Like all the vegetables, several different meats, right? There's casseroles thrown in there. Then there's the desserts. I mean, Granny was known for her fried okra, at least to all of us. We loved her fried okra. And her vanilla cake with chocolate frosting, always homemade, all of it from scratch, and the cake, I love this, the trick to the cake was that she would bake the cake, the layers of the cake, and then when she went to make the cake and stack it, she would cut the layers in half, so you could put an extra layer of icing in there in between, each, you know what I mean, this is, I love my granny, it's a wonderful example of Christianity, <laughs> that, has, that has nothing to do with it, I'm sure, but it was, the, the cake was amazing, delicious, I love Thanksgiving at granny's house. I mean, the feast was just, the spread was remarkable. And she would always say when we showed up to her house on Thanksgiving to have lunch together, she would always say, I hope you're hungry. I hope you're hungry. And she meant it because there was food. And, and I have vivid memories of sitting there eating, you know, fixing my plate and eating it all. And then Granny telling me, go back for seconds. Right? Like, I don't health implications aside, you know, I mean, I was a growing boy, so I guess, you know, I had the metabolism to deal with that, but, like, she just, she wanted to feed us, 
and feed us as much and as well as she could. She put her heart and her soul into it, into the preparation of the food, into the presentation of it, the giving of it, all of that. God loved Thanksgiving events. And it got more difficult, honestly, as we all got older, right? Because then, like, her kids got married and then remarried, and then the grandkids grow up and start having relationships and getting married, and then you got obligations to other families, and, and it was harder to pull everybody together and, and have that same sort of feast that I remember as a kid. And we've tried to carry it on, you know, even after she passed away, but that got more difficult. And honestly, as she got older, she didn't even make all of it anymore. Like, people would bring, somebody would bring a dish and, and kind of contribute to it all. But it's something I'll never forget, and I'll never forget her saying, I hope you're hungry when we walked in the door. And there's a passage of scripture, a parable that Jesus tells about a feast. It just brings to mind for me that Thanksgiving feast at Granny's. And it also brings to mind for me that comment that she would always make, I hope you're hungry. And I want to read that for us this morning. It comes from Luke chapter 14. And I'm going to read verses 16 through 24. We'll put it on the screen. So you can follow along as I read it out loud, whether you're in the room or with us at home or wherever you are. I want to invite you after I read it to affirm it with me. That's God's word for us. So I'll say, after I read the scripture, I'll say, this is the word of God for the people of God. Will you respond? Thanks be to God. All right. Jesus replied, a certain man hosted a large dinner and invited many people. When it was time for the dinner to begin, he sent his servant to tell the invited guests, Come, the dinner is now ready. One by one, they all began to make excuses. The first one told him, I bought a farm. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, Oh, I bought five teams of oxen, and I'm going to check on them. Please excuse me. And another said, oh, I just got married, so I can't come. Sorry about that. When he returned, the servant reported these excuses to his master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go quickly to the city's streets, the busy ones and the side streets, and bring the poor, crippled, blind, and lame. And the servant said, master, Your instructions have been followed, and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go to the highways and back alleys and urge people to come in so that my house will be filled. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will taste my dinner. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is one of those parables, those stories in the Gospels that is told in more than one place. Matthew has a similar telling, a similar story from Jesus. It's a little bit different. It's about a wedding banquet. So they're actually celebrating a wedding. There's also some other details in there that are a little bit different that I'll mention in just a minute. But but our common understanding about this parable is that Jesus is teaching the people about the nature of their relationship with God as Jewish people, as God's chosen people, that they are the ones who have been invited to the table. They are the members of the household. In this example, these 
people that the master sends out an invitation to are people that the master would expect to be a part of a feast, a banquet that he was throwing. His friends, maybe relatives, these are people that all belong to each other and with the master at a Thanksgiving meal or at a banquet or a feast. It might be better understood to call this the parable of the covenant because it is about the covenant that God has made with God's people. Go all the way back in the Old Testament to Abraham, that God made a covenant with Abraham and all of Abraham's descendants. I will be your God and you will be my people. This is a story from God to God's people. And God says, I'm throwing a feast. I'm throwing a banquet, and I hope you're hungry. Now, there is a, a way for us to continue to then make application of that or understand that for ourselves today, even those of us who aren't necessarily by blood Jewish, but we are of that lineage of Jesus who's Jewish, that, that there is an extension of God's family, God's household, to those of us who would claim the name of Christ. That we are a part of the household of God. And so we can even hear ourselves read in to this invitation. In this parable that God is throwing a banquet. And has sent God's servant to invite us. To be a part of it. And we can see in this story that there's people who are recipients of the initial invitation people who are already a part of that household. Maybe you could see yourself there as someone who has received an invitation to be a part of this family of God in Jesus Christ, and you've responded, and you are of the household. You're the one that we would expect to get an invite to God's banquet, to God's feast or celebration. And then there are those in this parable who have yet to receive that invitation have yet to be made aware, but then are. There's, there is a real sense here of a, people who are in the house, in the family, and people who aren't yet. Now, that can be harmful if we understand that as a way to exclude people and differentiate between. And we belong in and you don't. And it has, in fact, been used that way. Even the scripture has been used that way down through history. We're, we're dealing with some of that even right now when it comes to the anti-Semitic rhetoric that goes around our country and around our world. People, even Christians, who are putting outside of God's household and family are Jewish siblings. And that's not what this is about. This is not about drawing lines and dividing and saying we're in and you're out. We've been invited and you haven't. We've responded and you haven't. The meaning of this parable, this teaching from Jesus, is not about who do you get to exclude. It's more about for those who have received the invitation, how do you live with that? How do you respond to that? How do you live into that? If we use the scripture to reflect upon ourselves and our place in God's kingdom and in the world and how we live and behave and respond I think that's a much more fruitful way to handle it than seeing it as a place or an opportunity or a call to separate, divide, and exclude. 
And that's not what's going on even in this parable. It is about an invitation that is being extended by God. Ultimately, to everyone everywhere. To God's table. To God's banquet. To God's feast. And those initial recipients of the invitation, the people who know the master, and the master knows them, and has them a place at the table. When they get that invitation, at least the three examples that are given, what is their response? Well, I'm busy. I've got this work thing that's very important. Or... I just have this cool place that I need to go to. Or, well, I got family obligations, and so I I can't. And one by one, in the parable, the excuses are given for why these folks can't or won't participate in the feast that God has invited them to, the master has invited them to. So the reaction from the master, at least in the story, is anger. This made the master angry. I got to be honest, I got stuck there for a second because I, I struggle with that understanding of God as a vengeful, wrathful, angry God. I mean, there's plenty in the Old Testament that sort of reads that way. And even here, they got angry at the response to his invitation. And so I spent a minute with that. I don't know if you're the same way. If you're reading in the scripture or you encounter something about God or about faith that sort of goes, mm, I don't know. But what a great opportunity to spend a minute then with it. Reading, praying, talking to other folks. So I spent a minute here. Just, and, and if you take that word in the Greek that where it says God or the master was angry, and you do a little research into the origin of that word, what it really means, and it, and it doesn't exclude anger, but what it really means is a deep agitation of the soul that erupts into a response. You hear how anger could fit in that, but, but it might not just be anger. A deep agitation of the soul that erupts into a response. And this is where, now I'm editorializing a little bit, this is where I think we get in trouble with how the Bible was written and interpreted by a bunch of guys all the way down through history. And let's be honest, powerful, privileged, white men down through history is because that deep agitation of the soul can do a lot of things to you. But if it's pumped full of testosterone, it may just be anger. I've told you I'm editorializing here a little bit, but I think there's some power to this that we then come to understand and read and we have a lens through which we read the scripture and understand God that points us in that direction to anger. And I mean, not all anger is bad, right? We can be angry about unjust things and it's about how we live into that, how we express that, what we do with that deep agitation of the soul. I just wonder if we could be Even those of us who have received this invitation to God's banquet, to God's feast, to participate in God's kingdom coming, if we could have that deep agitation of our souls 
that could erupt into something other than malice and meanness and division and war. I just wonder what that would look like. What would that do to the rhetoric in our country if we could respond to that deep agitation of the soul in some other way than aggression? And I think about my grandmother, Granny, and the, the Thanksgiving feasts that she threw and all the effort and work that she went into making that such a wonderful experience and inviting her beloved to be a part of that and to come and share in that and receive what she was offering. And if any of us didn't show up or said, well, you know, I, I'm, I like to sleep late or gosh, Granny, I would, but this movie I want to go see or gosh, Granny, I would, but, you know, I got this other thing that I want to take care of. And it happened, right? I mean, through all those Thanksgivings down through the years. And I think about how my grandmother responded to that or how it must have made her feel. I suspect it was a deep agitation in her soul about the rejection of that invitation. But I don't remember her lashing out, yelling or being angry in the way we might think about it and present. I, I suspect it probably made her sad. It hurt. It was disappointing to her. Maybe you can relate where you've put time and effort and energy into preparing something, a meal or an experience for somebody or for people and they don't show up. How that might make you feel. I won't go too far down into what it's like post-pandemic church or, you know, and trying to have worship and picking up what I'm putting down. And what we see in this parable, what Jesus is telling the people of God is that when God's people don't respond to God's invitation to be a part of this feast, of this banquet, of this celebration, that that agitates the very soul of God to the point of response. Gosh, in, in Matthew's telling of it, some of the people who the servants go to and say, hey, the master wants you to come to this meal, they kill the servants. And, and so God condemns them to death. What Jesus is telling God's people is that this feast has been prepared, this table has been set there has been a banquet set before you, the 23rd Psalm. The Lord prepares a table before me, even in the presence of my enemies. And you're invited. We're invited. Not only that, but then Jesus goes so far as to say, you know what, okay, there was this initial guest list, and you will or won't participate or be a part of it. Well, then we're going to go invite some more people. Oh, and there's still room, then we're going to go and invite some more people. And guess what we're doing? We're inviting the people out of the alleyways, out of the gutters, the people who are blind and poor and oppressed, who've been marginalized and pushed aside and forgotten and don't get invitations to banquets and to Thanksgiving dinners. Those are the people that Jesus said, I'm going to go and invite. And guess what? There's going to be a party. There's going to be a celebration. There is going to be a feast. God's kingdom is going to come. And it is going to come among God's people. And we just have a choice. Do we respond to that invitation or not? But God is going to keep inviting and keep inviting and keep inviting and throw those doors wider and wider and wider open and fill the house with God's beloved children 
And there is going to be a feast. God's church will always be. God's kingdom is coming. And we've been invited to be a part of it. I hope you're hungry. And we're going to share in a meal uh, that sort of embodies this parable, this feast that God has invited God's people to. Now we're going to share in the communion meal of bread and juice. But for us, it is the body and blood of Christ. It is the fullness, the completion of this celebration, of this invitation to know life in Christ and the fullness of it. And so we're going to share in it at, at our uh, makeshift Thanksgiving tables that are up here. I'm so thankful for the people who have set all of this this morning. And we're going to share in the meal just a little bit differently, just so you know. We're going to serve each other. We're going to gather around the Thanksgiving tables and pass the food. We pass the okra. We pass the cake. We're going to pass the bread and the juice and serve each other. And so literally what I'm going to do in just a minute is invite you to come up in like fours or fives. And there's going to be somebody at each table to initiate this. But we're going to serve each other. So you're going to pass the basket of bread to the person next to you and let them take a piece out. And y'all just pass the basket of bread around the table. And then pass the cup so that they can then dip the bread and the juice and receive the body and blood of Christ. And then they'll pass the cup and they'll pass the cup. We'll show you in just a minute. But we're going we're gonna to serve each other this meal. This is what God has invited us to do. Now, Jesus shared this meal with his disciples. Before his arrest and his crucifixion, his burial and his resurrection, he said to his disciples, This bread is my body. given for you. Take it and eat it, and every time you do, remember me. And then he took the cup. He said, this cup is my blood, poured out for you and for everyone, for the forgiveness of sin, to redeem you, restore you. This is your invitation as a member of the family of God to God's banquet feast. Take it and drink from it, and every time you do, remember me. So that's what we do this morning as we share in this meal together. We give thanks for the invitation to God's table. We give thanks for Christ, and we receive this gift with each other. So I want to ask you if you would join me and we'll pray a blessing over our meal. And after we do that, I'll give just a little bit more instruction and, and we'll share together in this Thanksgiving communion. Oh God, we acknowledge this morning as we come before you that we come broken, imperfect. We come with a confessional spirit. We know that there are ways and places in our lives, in us, in the church, 
We've not been who you've created and called us to be. And so, God, we come confessing that before you. And as we do, we come receiving your gift of forgiveness, of redemption and restoration, wholeness and life. And we give thanks. God, we come before you thankful for the gifts of bread and juice. And we ask you to make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be the body of Christ for the world, redeemed by his blood. God, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. Until we feast at your heavenly banquet. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.